Hey, this is Eastlake BBA, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you. We hope this builds your faith. Enjoy the message. I'm Jennifer, a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, it's always, it's always feels so strange saying that I'm a recovered alcoholic, but yet here I am, an actual recovered alcoholic. And to me, that means... I've recovered from a hopelessly seeming, whatever, you know what I mean, state of mind and body. Mm-hmm. And I have. I mean, it's, it's a miracle that I'm even in here today speaking to you guys. Um, I normally like to prepare something and then read it and ha- feel really um, dialed in with what I'm going to say. And I was trying to do that last night. What the most genuine and heartfelt is for me to just kind of tell you guys my experience. So that's what I'm going to do. And I chose the third step because that's when my life really changed, when I decided to turn my will and my care over to God. There was one, is somebody timing me? I can do that. Okay, you take it down to 15 minutes, Oliver. Right on. <laughs> I bet you know. Um, I was at a BBA meeting a few years ago, and I think the speaker's name was Bashir or Brashir, and that guy was so awesome, and I will never forget what he said. It will stick with me for the rest of my life. Either God is everything or Brashir is everything. (laughs) And up until I came in here and started doing my steps, Jennifer was everything. I didn't care about anybody my family, friends, as long as I got what I wanted. And that's kind of how I lived my entire life from the time I could remember. I manipulated everybody to get what I wanted. And you know, it, was, it was always kind of justified. I need this, I want that, this is gonna be better. You know, it talks in the book about we have even the greatest intentions, and they may be noble, and they may be altruistic and virtuous, but really isn't everything that we're doing coming back to serve some purpose for ourselves. And that's what I was doing. Um, I was running on self-propulsion, like it says in the book somewhere, um, like 58 or 59, I can't remember, I was prepping last night. And that's what I had done my entire life, and I lived my life for myself, and I didn't even realize it at the time, that something was lacking in me spiritually, and I felt, I don't want to say unwanted, but I felt not worthy, not good enough, just a sense of self-hatred from the time I was really little. And my mom always likes to turn it around to herself, well, we always told you you were this and this and this and so wonderful and so that, so why are you like that? I don't know, Mom, I just am. I was, I was born that way. When I was growing up, I, God, I was a really bad teenager. I stole my dad's car before I even had a driver's license, took it for a joyride all around. Everything was fine until I got back home and I was pulling into a very narrow garage and I crunched the side of the passenger door and had this big elaborate scheme that I was trying to hide it that a table saw actually fell over onto the passenger door and my parents called the cops and even then I couldn't admit yeah dad I did it I was sneaking out to see my boyfriend when I was 16 I was going to Tijuana when I was 14 15 puking my way across the border because that's the only way I knew how to how to drink was to get completely obliterated and I Even after all these things, it never occurred to me, what are you doing? Do you see how you are affecting the people around you? So fast forward a little bit, and I'm, you know, I'm in college and really running on self-propulsion. I was working two jobs. I was going to school full time. I was doing really well in school, but I didn't care about anything or anybody. I just wanted to be number one in my class, graduate valedictorian, and blew everybody off so that I could do that. Met my husband, and um, we had known each other for six months, and he was in the Navy at that time, and 
he moved to Italy. He was stationed in Italy, and I went to go visit him, and he had always said, we're going to get married. We're going to get married. Like, no question in my mind, we're getting married. So I go to visit him, and I was there for a month, and he didn't ask me to marry him, so I had a tantrum and said, where's my ring? And that's not like me. Never had to beg anybody for a ring, but I had to beg my husband. And by doing that and forcing my will and trying to manipulate him, he lost his mind. He said, I had the ring the whole time, and I was waiting a second, you ruined it. We did end up getting married, and we're still married to this day. Um, you know, even with my kids, I have four kids. My oldest is 20, my youngest is 12. And up until I came to this program, I had been forcing my will on them. I want you to be this way. I want you to be that way. I don't like this about you. I don't like that. And I thought that was being a good mother. But that was actually destroying their, their self-esteem and their self-worth. So what else did it look like? Jennifer running on her own will, playing God, playing director, the actor, their producer. Like I said, you do this, you do that. This is how I like it. While I was getting drunk at 7 o'clock in the morning, waiting for my husband to go to work so I could find my stash of vodka or the little wine bottles. <coughs> Excuse me. Those were actually the best because I could drive and drink. My whole hand would cover it because they're like this big and here I am chugging along with my kids in the car. That was me running on my self-will. I'm going to do what I want because this is what I need right now. I um, <clears throat> would pass out in front of my kids. My oldest, I remember her vividly. I was passed out on my bathroom floor like 3 o'clock in the afternoon and she was taking pictures on her phone and sending, him, sending those pictures to her dad. That's me running on <clears throat> my self-will. My husband would have to take business trips and I remember so well he said to me, he's like, I can't go on this trip. Anna, I need some of that water. Thank you. He um, told me I can't go away because I can't leave you alone with the kids. And I was begging him because I was so humiliated and felt like such a failure and a horrible mother and a horrible wife and a horrible person. No, you can go. Please, you know, I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good. You can go. So he went. And I remember, well, I don't remember but he had called me a day or two into it. I was drunk. Don't even remember having the conversation with him. I just saw on my phone that we had spoken that night and I was terrified, terrified. He was gonna come home and do something, but he didn't know. Turns out he didn't even know I had been drinking because as alcoholics, aren't we so good at covering it and masking it and putting on this facade of being no, I'm fine. I'm fine when really you're dying inside. Um, my 17-year-old daughter, um, when I was pregnant with her, this is another example of me running the show and basically driving my life into the ground. So my 17-year-old daughter, when I was pregnant, I knew the entire time, something's not right, something's not right, something's not right. Everything was fine. My husband said, you worry more than anybody I've ever known. Calm down. It's fine. <clears throat> but I knew. I knew deep down something was wrong. So my daughter's born, and we get an at-birth diagnosis that my daughter has Down syndrome. So for me, the narcissist, selfish, self-centered, egocentric person that I am as an alcoholic, all I could think of How's this going to affect me? What have I done? How am I going to face people having a child who is not perfect? Because that was the image I wanted to project onto the world because I am so full of fear and not being good enough and driven by my ego. So I spent probably first three or four years of her life trying to find things to make her 
better. You can't cure Down syndrome. But I was going to do everything I could to make her the queen of Down syndrome. She was going to do everything and defy all the odds. She didn't. But what I realize now looking back on that, because I was so intent and focused on myself, is that I wasted those first three to four years of her life instead of enjoying her, thinking about myself and how it affected me. And I'll, I will tell you now, that child has been the greatest gift I have ever, ever been given. As soon as I was, as soon as I was able to give up that selfishness and self-centeredness and recognize her for who she is, it's, I am so grateful for her and I would not change one single thing about her because I can see now God had a plan for me. And if I had just accepted that and accepted God's will and turned my will over to the care of God, as I understand him, I call him God, I wouldn't have that regret. But I couldn't at that time. And, you know, I tell her every day, I say, Gigi, you are perfect just the way God made you. She goes, mm-hmm, I am, and I'm pretty. And I go, yes, you are. Um, I had written something down here that I thought was pertinent. So on page, on page 60, it says the first requirement, this is me trying to get sober and turn my life over to God. The first requir requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that, base, on that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. But the show never comes off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He he becomes, on the next occasion, still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him. That was me, to a T. I thought, okay, if it doesn't fit, I always kind of joke. If it doesn't fit, forfeit. Like, that was our family motto growing up. <laughs> we still, my, my parents and my brother and I still joke about that to this day. And it, it, that was me. If I can't get what I want, the way that it's supposed to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it regardless. I'm going to force it. So I made the decision when I took the third step to turn my life and my will over to the care of God as I understand him. And the most important part of that is relieve me of the bondage of self. And I say that third step prayer every single morning, and I say, relieve me of the bondage of self, relieve me of the bondage of self, please, please, please. Because the bondage of myself is, is an ego that's driven by fear, delusion, anger, depression, worry, self-doubt, anxiety, and I could go on and on and on. But when I turn that over, and I have to do it every day, I know that's the third step, but it's something I do every single day because I like, to, I like to be in control and I like to think that I'm running the show really well and I don't. I was driving myself and my family and everybody who cared about me into a really deep, dark, black hole. And I'm still, I've got a little bit of time in here and I'm still crawling out of that hole. To be honest, it's not... Life isn't perfect, but it's good now. And there's kind of a relief, not kind of, there is a huge relief in being able to say, God, I'm giving this to you because I don't know what I'm doing. And I really don't. All I know is that I pray for guidance and signs and open doors and an open heart and an open mind and say, God, just show me. Show me what you want me to do. Show me how I can do your will today and not mine, because I'm, I really am lazy and selfish. My um, 
14-year-old daughter has been battling an eating disorder for the past two years. And I took my will back so hard because, you know, I think that's my daughter. I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to do what's right for her. She's God's daughter. I'm just here to help guide her. And we had a really rough go of it. And, you know, it's very similar to alcoholism. It's shameful. It's secretive. It's something that you just can't get over. You need professional help. And I would get mad at her if I would catch her in a behavior. India, what are you doing? Oh, my God, that's, that's disgusting. And I, I thought to myself, did God ever talk to me like that? How much grace did God give me while I was out driving drunk with my kids? While I would pull up into the driveway and park sideways, half my car's in the driveway, half of it's parked on the grass. And I threw a pizza and a full bag of flour at my husband in the, in the middle of our neighborhood. How much grace did he give me? And so my daughter has been in two residential treatment facilities trying to deal with this. She's been in a partial hospitalization, came out, started up again, and now she's back in partial hospitalization. So she's there. Monday through Friday from 11.45 to 7. And I really made that conscious choice and asked God, take my daughter, give her what she needs. I trust you. And that's not easy. It really, really isn't. And I swear to God, it's a miracle. For the first time in two years, my daughter is like the star of this, we call it eating camp at our house. And so... My daughter's the star of eating camp. They're saying, oh, my God, India is a changed person. She's so motivated. She wants to do this. We're so proud of her. We have had other issues um, that get in the way, and I'm just thinking, okay, God really, really, really loves me because he really trusts me to come through with all these things. So five minutes? Oh. So um, another Another issue came up at my daughter's eating club, my son, and she got into it, turned into a physical altercation, left a bruise and like a hematoma on my daughter's arm. The therapist saw it at eating club, called CPS on us. I thought I was going to lose my mind. I get the call from her therapist. It was really condescending, really offensive, and I'm thinking, they're going to take my kids. They're going to, you know, put them in foster care. I don't know what I'm going to do. This is the worst thing that ever happened. And I was that way for about two days. And then I remembered, I'm not in control. Turning this over to you, God. Whatever happens, it's your will. And I'm just help me to accept it. So the CPS worker comes out and says, oh, this is ridiculous. This is, can't believe they even called. If I had known, I would have automatically terminated the case. So... As soon as I unburden myself and give it to God, there he is showing up for me. My son is a special case. He, that child, he's 12, and he has just got, I think it's what's called oppositional defiance disorder, which is morphing into conduct disorder, and he's just having all kinds of problems. He, um stole money from my wallet and then denied it. It was $180. And this just happened. And uh, I knew he did it. And I called my husband. He's like, oh, he's like, no. He's like, that's bullshit. He didn't do it. I'm like, yeah, I know he did it because he'd done it before. And so I confronted him, denied it. And he was very, very convincing, very believable. And uh, I was cleaning his room out found the wallet, presented him with the evidence. I didn't do that. No way. So my go-to is when I'm upset, hurt, disappointed, frustrated, anger. Before I confronted him, I prayed. And I said, God, please speak to him through me. And whatever it is you need to say, have it come out. And what I said to him, I can't even believe, came out of my mouth because I was full, a lot, you know, I'm full of hurt. 
and disappointment and anger and I feel betrayed. So God had me say to him, it's okay. I love you no matter what you do and I'm not angry. You just have to tell me the truth. And I realized after I said that, that's kind of what God has been saying to me this entire time. It's okay. I'm not angry. Just tell me the truth. Because that's all God really wants. He knows all the really super ugly parts about me. And he loves me anyway. And he has been there for me this entire time. He got me into this room. And he kept me here. Because before I... I should be in jail or I've crashed my car. I, I blacked out while driving. I've, I've done some really horrible, horrible things um, that there's no way that I shouldn't at least have a DUI. But God was sitting right there with me. And all I needed to do was turn my will over to him and good things happen. You know, it's not always what I want to happen, but sometimes it's what I need to happen. And it's me just being able to accept that and see there's a plan and there's so much more that I'm not even aware of. I'm done? Okay, thank you. Wow, Jennifer, that was amazing. I had to share, um, because I can relate so much to the parenting, to the, uh, my own alcoholism and addiction. Um, God, I used to steal my parents' cars too when I was like 13, 14, 15. But God, the stuff with the kids, you know, and of course, you know, okay, I'm an alcoholic, drug addict, crystal meth addict, and Al-Anon, controller fixer when it came to my kids and um, my kids don't live with me now, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I remember doing inventory. Um, I, I'd been sober, I think five years and, but I hadn't done the steps for Al-Anon yet. So I'm, I'm doing the steps on Al-Anon and I, I write inventory again. This time my sons are on my resentment list. I think before that, I wasn't in so much denial. I was in so much denial, I wasn't able to see that. I was resentful at my sons. But, uh, but it's just like you were talking about. I wanted them to be a certain way, and they weren't. So what a, what a you know, first of all, it's an incredibly shameful thing for, after seeing that I was so selfish and so... That it was all about me, you know, it was about me. I had this idea that I was going to be a better parent than my parents were. <laughs> it's laughable, really. Uh, first of all, my parents are not drug addicts and alcoholics. And second of all, they're not nearly as fucking crazy as I am. <laughs> um, even sober, I'm dangerous. <laughs> um, And, you know, it just re it reminded me of, I had an interaction with my younger son. He, he had problems. He, had, he was diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder. He was diagnosed with ADHD and, and you know, bipolar disorder and maybe even um, autism, but not officially. Um, anyway, he, uh, he's having some difficulties with a coworker, uh, a female coworker, who I don't know, they had a thing or whatever. And he's like, well, she's accusing me of stalking her, you know? <laughs> and anyway, and he's like, and I have a criminal record. And, and then he put it back on me. He goes, you remember that time you called the cops? You know, and I'm like, oh my God. So he's, and I felt like all this um, guilt, you know, he's so good at, uh, they're so good at pushing our buttons, you know? And so I was, I was upset, I was hurt, I, was, I wasn't angry, but I was, you know, I was hurt and I felt so, uh, like I couldn't, I couldn't help him, you know, but, so I just prayed, um, and the next day, um, 
I was able to respond with with love, you know. Um, I'm trying to remember what I said, but, you know, he was talking about, you know, quitting his job. He goes, I got I to gotta get, I got to quit my job. That's what I did. I texted him the next day. I said, I said, how are you doing? This was after I prayed and, and calmed down and, and was able to, to be sane <laughs> with, it, with God's help. And he says, I have to quit my job. And I said, well, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? You know, he didn't like his job that much anyway. So, and he says, he says, yeah, but I have to find another job. And I just said, yep. And that was it. And, that was, and then he texted me a couple hours later. He said, the bitch quit. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, it's just, it's just funny how God works, you know. I didn't have to... I didn't have to get angry. I didn't have to tell him what to do. I didn't have to feel guilty about having him arrested when he was breaking into my house, you know, um, and stealing a car. Um, see, my parents, God, I, I remember I, I went to rehab at 15 years old and got clean from crystal meth. I see, you know, what is that? Sort of sober? Not really. I mean, just no meth for a little bit. And my mom was so happy that I was not doing meth anymore because I had stolen money from them. I had done so much horrible stuff. And she was so happy that I wasn't, that I could do anything. I could do whatever the hell I wanted. So I would just take her car. I didn't even have a license. She didn't, she didn't care. I would just take her car. I crashed her car. <laughs> no insurance. I mean, I, I was a, 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 you know, a disaster, even sober. So anyway, that's all I have. The, the third step now, it's, it's the ego rebuilds, you know? And um, I remember five years ago, I was doing all this stuff. I, just real quick, I was, I was working, you know, lots of overtime and going to school and being a parent and doing all this stuff and, and just trying to, force, trying to force things to happen. You know, I got to be the number one guy at work. I got to... I got to get this degree. I got to do all this stuff. I got to sponsor all these guys. I got to do. I, I got to do all this stuff. It's crazy. It was crazy. So I can still get there today, you know, in uh, self-will, just pure self-will. So it's been um, humbling over the past few years, just slowing down, really slowing down, and and being more present and more, you know. Because when I was doing that, I couldn't be present. I couldn't be present for anybody. You know, it was all about me. So, anyway, thanks. Thank you, Pat. Uh, Ren's an alcoholic. I love life and life loves me. Uh, thank you for that chair. It was awesome. Um, actually, remind me of, like, when I was growing up, they didn't do tests to see if I had, you know, uh, HDD, whatever, you know, and um, I, I look back, I was definitely dyslexic. Um, I did shit that I look back now, I'm like, I was sick then, right? Like, um, I'm the kid that got kicked out of Catholic school in the sixth grade for selling uh, Playboy magazines, you know, like I had a side hustle in grammar school and I was like, I had issues, right? Like I, w I was just reminded I stole from my mother, you know, went into her pocketbook and took money uh, and she provided, but I still wanted the Twinkies after school or whatever, right? And I remember, um, I remember like when I had a spiritual awakening, um, it was like at the six month point um, of my sobriety and I heard um, some people sharing at, at my morning meeting at Rise and Shine and they were talking about, you know, some guy found his wife cheating on him, uh, somebody's um, son um, got diagnosed with cancer um, other people were talking about 
DUIs, and I remember on my way to work, I would stop by my church and do my meditation there. Um, and I went to, to the pastor's office. Uh, he, he's a friend that's also in recovery. And I just felt all this emotion. I started crying, and I'm like, how come I didn't get any of those things, you know? And he just hugged me and said to me, son, because God has protected you this whole time. You have a message someday that you're going to help other alcoholics, other addicts. And he says, because God's loved you at the worst moments. He's never left you. You abandoned him at times. And that was a, a great reminder of that. Because no matter what, God's loved us, continues to love us, even when we don't love ourselves. And to me right now, like, I get to, I get to look at other people that I would have easily judged, that I easily uh, would shut them out because I didn't like the way that they might joke around, um, the way that they interact with other people. But I gotta constantly remind myself, no matter what, they're a child of God. And if I think that of them, that means I think I'm better than God. And that's where the third step to me, um, you know, the book says that it's the cornerstone, the keystone step of the program. And I heard this newcomer actually share this. She said that her sponsor said, you know, um, when we turn over our will and our lives over, turning over the will is turning over our thoughts, right? Like where I'm thinking about this right now and our lives is actually turning over um, our actions over to God at that moment. You know, now that I see where I am as far as, you know, my thoughts are going, if I turn it over my life at that point, that's the action of doing that next uh, indicated step, right? Like, what do I do now? I already know that this thought is not good or where it's going. It's actually um, doing the right thing, right? And I'll end this with this. Um, there's a guy at my, my home group, um, and it, this always sticks with me. He's like, no matter what decision he's gonna make or what he's feeling at that moment about someone, he stops, he pauses, and he simply asks himself this, what would God have me do right now? We have a moral compass inside us that we know what the right answer is. A lot of times we don't agree with it because it's hard, it frustrates us, uh, but deep down inside we know what's right and I tried to do that today. Thank you. We love to hear you. Yeah, right, just because I'm Aussie, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Janet. Recovered alcoholic. Uh, hi, Janet. Jen, thanks. That was awesome. I just love the way you continued to demonstrate through your share how God, as you said, Renzo was always there. That 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 there was always that protective element in our lives, despite all the madness, all the crazy shit that uh, we we do. And um, you know, the, the concept that God is everywhere and in, in and everything was um, really a huge uh, breakthrough for me when I um, most recently did the work. And um, it's really, really helped me with my son, my 25-year-old who's, uh, you know, walking the path that I've walked. I was sober for most of his life, but it didn't stop him from, you know, being where he's at. And, um, you know, uh, Gosh, you know, I was like, I wasn't like a director. I was like a surgeon director. <laughs> I, 
micromanaged to the max every little detail and kind of cut it up. And I was really so, so into the control of, like you said, Jen, trying to um, be, have him be different to the way he was presenting. He too was the ADHD kid, you know, or whatever, maybe autistic, we don't know. Probably nothing to do with the uh, way in which he was brought up by this not very well person, even though I was sober from the time he was three. But I was, I'm, I'm like all of us here in this room, I, I'm someone who's got issues. <laughs> and you know, putting the drink down was just the very beginning. Not to scare any newcomers, but it's actually a great journey. I don't know how many newcomers are in the room right now, but. Uh, you know, getting sober, getting physically sober is just the beginning. And then, then starts the really glorious part of this program. Is it easy? Not necessarily. No, it's not. Um, because, because the path of learning how to allow God to be in charge and not to be the egotistic, selfish, self-centered uh, person that uh, wants to run the show like a top surgeon <laughs> has to uh, has to be unravelled, and it takes time. Um, it takes it takes learning what not to do and seeing the results of what not to do, and that's that's all part of the journey, and that's okay. Um, you know, my son um, is doing a lot better. I think I don't actually know because I'm not micromanaging him. But uh, he seems to be doing okay. <laughs> um, and it's hard for me. I want to go up to LA and have a look at what he's doing and how he's doing it. I've got some clues about where he's at. Um, and he seems to be making some steps in the right direction, um, finishing off his degree and, and, and doing pretty well in the process with some of the results he's getting. And he's still walking a path that I don't want him to walk. I have no control over it, and that's a big change for me. <clears throat> Recognizing that um, God is in him, in you, in, in everything, is all I really need to know. And then I just, uh, as Renzo just put it, I just got to make sure that I'm checking in. Um, some days I do better than others. I, I lose my shit. Sometimes people, places and things frustrate the shit out of me and I have to look at not whether I react so much, but it's whether I can recover from that without my head going off and staying off for a while. So it's more about how long am I knocked off centre and do I even have an awareness that I've been knocked off centre. So, um, you know, this program is amazing, really, the, the way in which the Big Book is unpacked in BBA is a great opportunity to um, kind of fine-tune who I am and how I'm showing up in the world. And um, hopefully I'm coming from a place of love more often than I used to. So thanks for letting me share. All right. Okay, 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 okay. I am David and I am an alcoholic. Uh my hands are issue to talk you know, today because I have the beautiful lady over here that reminds me of my days when I was struggling every single day. You know, I did the program with uh, Jennifer, and it's a pleasure to hear you, my dear. You know, and uh, you know, I uh, it's a music to my ears. You know, to hear you talking about God. The way, the way God works in your life. You know, I got to tell you, I'm getting really used to work with this God thing with me because I really am afraid to change the way I live, you know, now, you know, because sometimes, you know, I remember how I was just a few years ago. And I can you know, go to the hell that I was before. You know, and I listen to what you have to say, and that's, you know, the way I live now, try to live, because sometimes it's not easy, you know, to, you forget 
You know, all my life I'm used to just give help to people, criticize people, judge people, and put people down and uh, being superior to, uh, about, you know, everything that, you know, like in St. Willie, like you were saying, you know, it's not easy to, to live the way you live now, you know. That's what I always say, thank God for these rooms, thank God for this program, because uh, life with God is a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of rest, a lot of peace, you know. You learn how to live with people, you know, that you despise, that you don't like. And, you know, and you are sometimes in the position that you don't want to be, and, you know, you always say, no, I'm not going to, you know, I, I can't go to this house because I, I don't like to be with these people, I don't like the way these people talk, I don't like the way they act, and I had to, you know, shut my mouth all the time because I want to explode, goddammit, you know? And, uh, and that happens to me yesterday, so I was in somebody's house, and, you know, and, uh, and, and all I had to do, you know, like Jennifer was saying, you know, please, God, help me. Help me, please, and start praying. Go to the bathroom and pray and pray and pray and pray what I was learning here because I didn't know how to pray before. I don't know how to pray now, but I pray at least a little things that is in the book and a few more things, you know, and that's all I need, you know. Uh, and all I had to do is just, you know, have patience, listen, and start praying for these people because to, for me these people are not making any sense, you know. And I, I feel like bringing, bringing them, you know, to this program just for a little bit, I just like put a little thing in the, their heads and they can learn a little, a little bit of what we have here, you know. Uh, like that we can understand each other, you know. And, and this is what is happening to my mind. It goes to my mind and to my mind to have patience and tolerance and please God help me to have the right words to say to these men or to these women. And believe me, it works for me day after day after day. Sometimes it's not easy, you know, I leave it for the next day. And what happens, you know, I struggle the, day, the night before, you know, having it in my head, you know, uh, start, you know, just thinking about what, know the right things to say, you know, like a little vengeance with these people, you know. Or, or, and, and the next day, you know, I just get up and say, God, please help me through the day. You, that your will, will will be done, not mine, and this is all I need for now. So Jennifer, I thank you so very much because it's a pleasure to, be, to see you again. Thank you, Chef. Hello. Hello. Rafael, addict. <clears throat> I was listening to you, Jennifer, of thanks for what you spoke to us. I need a flashback into some of the things that I went through when I was doing the third step and wanted to control everything. I wanted to control everything. I even thought I was, going, I was being very non-egotistic. I was trying to do things for them, but it ended up I was doing things for me. <laughs> but I felt it was I was doing it for them. So I wanted my kids to do what I want. I want my wife to do what I want. I want my co-workers to do what I want. I want everybody to do what I want. And I ended up losing everything. Not my family, luckily. But I thought it was, it's unfair. I was doing it for them. And I ended up realizing it was not for them, it was for me. And that's something that kind of uh, took me a while to accept and recognize and still struggle. Still, still try to justify myself sometimes. But it's that, uh, it's not my will, it's God's will. And last December we were in a car accident, I told some of you, and it was another week. We, we, it was a huge accident and we were reborn. And that was, it was not me, it was God. 
everything that happened there. Today I got the police report after two and a half months. I finally got it and I read it all. It's like, yeah, it was a big accident. And we're here. Not because I wanted, not because I decided. He's the one who decided for me to be here and already started all this. And uh, it's another example, as I mentioned, it's, it's his decision. It's, I like to drive. I like to be in front of everything. I like to decide if we go right or left. Actually, right or left. I like to decide everything. And I have to let it go and let it happen and trust in God's decision. I am a believer, but it's a different way of believing. It's kind of surrendering and putting, actually giving the keys to him. You drive, I'll accept, and I won't even talk. Sometimes I, I complain. You should have turned earlier, you should have speed, but yeah, that part of the control of the ego, egoism and the lack of empathy or self-centeredness, that's something uh, that I do believe it's the, the root of my disease, which I, oh, I'm, I'm working on and we need to kind of keep it clear. It's there and I'm going to live with it and I got to keep focus because if I lose focus, I'm going to go back and I don't want to go back, but it's, it's a struggle that I'm still at. And thanks all for listening. Thank you, Rafa. Thank you very much. Hi, Luis Alcoholic. Hey, Luis. Jennifer, thanks for coming in tonight. Um, I'm going to jump to page 88 where it says, We alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. And, you know, if we go all the way back to step three, at some point in our step three prayer, it talks about, God, I offer myself to be, to build with me, and to do with me as I will. And then if we move a little forward, um, which I just forgot, but this is the how and the why, but actually a little bit back behind. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decide here and after the drama of life. And God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father, and we are his children. I've been in reflection all day today because um, I have a 10-year-old. And I can tell you, he is a good son to me. I am proud of him. But there are moments in life that, like any 10-year-old, I have to discipline him. And, you know, Jose walked me through it years back, the difference between punishment and discipline. And he said, you can find one definition of God's discipline in Hebrews 12. And he says, look, when we punish, it's a reaction out of fear. And most of us know that. I do. That's what I grew up with. That's the way my parents, you know, uh, reacted and, you know, dealt with the situation. And he said, but the way that God disciplines us is from a place of love. And if you read Hebrews 12, it says, what good father would not discipline their children? And it warns us that if we don't do it, then later in life the world will, will discipline them, perhaps even punish them. And so here I am, today's my birthday, and and I've been in prayer because I recognize my son's bad attitude has just gone on to where the point where I have to discipline him. And I don't want to do it, but I know I have to do it, right? And it's not always easy. And so um, I'm sharing with someone during lunch and they say, well, in your house, it's like Old Testament. And I was like, and it's interesting because you know how it talked about prior, content prior investigation? I didn't get offended on it because this person has, has not read the Old Testament because they've got their own struggle and resistance and rebellion. So I was like, oh, tell me more. 
And they're like, well, it's all about grace and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, right, I get grace. And then and I, and I hear them out and I said, you understand that religion is not the same thing as discipline. And actually, if you were to go into the New Testament, God makes it pretty clear on Hebrews 12 what his discipline looks like from the place of love. And they're like, so when my son, uh, I pick them, pick them up, and at this point, God's like, don't bring it up, deal with it tomorrow, let's celebrate. And then it was like, go outside and go for a bike ride, right? And I was like, perfect, right? Because I've been in prayer. But I, when I pick him up, he says, do I have tennis today? And I said, no, son, um, we're skipping tennis all week. He goes, why? And I said, you know why. And he's like, and he gets sad. And we go for the bike ride. And then later, I said, um, you understand what we need to do this weekend? And he gives me a thumbs up. And the thing is, is that as children, he understood. He's a child, right? And he, under, he took the medicine well. Some of us that are, you know, myself included in this room, I don't want the medicine. You know, when I got here, I, I've been running away from God my whole life because I, did, I wanted to do life my own way until I hit bottom. And so it's normal for us to be struggling as he's building in us. And you hear some, one of the first things is it's hard to lie after you've gone through the 12 steps. Some of us, it might be hard to watch porn again. Ideally, for most of us, it'd be, at some point, alcohol is just no longer, you know, we, as it says, we recoil from it. There's many forms of what, you know, there's habits, people, and places that we're going to struggle with letting go as God is building in us. And so I'm just very grateful that today I know that God disciplines us from a position of love. And the last thing I'll just share Imagine what it's like if I, if I was going through that grief today. What it's like for him when, we're, when we decide to go once again into that dead end. You know what I mean? And somewhere, the, the smallest phrase in the Bible says, Jesus wept. And whether you're a believer or not, know this. And it tells this book points to a loving God. He, he feels. He feels when... when his children choose a different path, but he welcomes us with open arms and love every time we come back. Thanks. My name is Salvador, and I'm not Mamacita Preciosa. I'm so happy to see you. Thank you so much for sharing, man. I miss you so much. I really do. I really do. And uh, I miss all you all. I mean, we are we are a family, man. And, and Jennifer has been has been gone for a while, and I miss you a lot. And thanks so much for the experience. I know your struggle, and I know it's real. And uh, and you know, the third step for me, it's uh, just like everybody else, man. It's 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 one of the toughest steps in the book, you know, because one thing say you believe in God and go about your business, try to control life, to suit yourself, and, and there's another one to truly, truly give yourself up to God and really not know what's going to be on the other side. And that's where I've been, and that's where <clears throat> I have become. You know, uh, I've been reading a lot of books lately. I've been reading uh, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And it's a wonderful book. It's an amazing book, actually, if anybody of you haven't read it, read it. And pretty much he talks about the conscience and how the thoughts are not who we are, and how fear has governed all our lives, and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the chapter, man, he explains God in a way that I have never heard it before. And you know, it says that, it says, seeing through the loving eyes of God. And he says that God loves me like a mother loves a disabled child. That that love is the purest love there is, right? And he also says that God is like the sun. If I like the sun, that's okay. If I don't like the sun, the sun is going to shine. And it also says that the sun is for everyone, you know, either you like it or you don't. God is for me and for everybody, you know, I mean, it's not, God is not a thing that I found for me, it's God that, it's for all of us. So, I mean, today it's, uh, 
I am I'm super grateful to, to be alive uh, this weekend. I spent this weekend with my son. Uh, what a wonderful gift it is. Uh, you know, I did what I did with my son. My son is 23 years old. He's in college, and he's going to do what he's going to do. There's very little I can I can do to steer that boat any longer. I mean, I store. I mean, I, I did what I had to do, and I made a lot of mistakes. And and and, and today, to be honest, to talk to to be able to be honest with them and to talk to him and to acknowledge the the hurt that I caused, you know, openly, without apologizing, just acknowledging it, you know, looking in his eyes, the the side of relief uh, that we can talk about it. You know, because in families, or at least in my family, you know, my dad always asked for apologies, but he didn't know why. He just said, I'm sorry for everything. That, that apology doesn't count. In my book, I mean, that's what the ninth step says. You know, you need to go and apologize and tell them why and how you can amend things. So I, I, I spent the weekend with my son. That was amazing just to him grow up and, 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 and for him to go to all of his friends and say, listen, man, this is my dad, this is my dad. You know, to be proud of me. And that's... That's a good thing, you know, I, left, I lived in shame for many, many, many years, man. I lost, as you, the people that know me, I lost everything as far as money goes. And I was always very ashamed, I couldn't see my, my kids in the eye. And today to know that I don't need the material stuff, the money stuff, the vacations, the cars, the, uh, the clothes that I used to, to buy him to show my love, and be able to have a relationship with my son. That's new to me, man. That's that's I mean, that's like a miracle to me. You know, I mean, we didn't spend. I mean, I, sp I slept in his, in his house. We went to eat cheap food. I mean, it wasn't expensive at all, man. We had the time of our life. So <clears throat> God has done for me what I haven't been able to do for myself. But it's tough. It's it's really tough to stop controlling. It's it's really really tough. And when the fear hits, that's when it gets tougher. You know. Because for me, fear is the worst. And when I feel fear, I want to control everything. I want everybody to behave just as I want them to behave. And if they don't, I grow more fearful. And then I grow angry. La, 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 la. And my life is it's horrible. So truly to be able to be okay with who I am today, to be okay with where I'm at today, and to be okay knowing that whatever is coming is God. It's God's will. Some days is, I mean, Every day, I, I have to stop. I do it every day, man. That's, that's where I try to live. And when I get out of that, I try to go back right back into it. Because that's the only way I can live. There's no other way I can live. I mean, Oliver, without God, I, I, I really don't know where I'll be. You know? So thank you for letting me share it. And come back, Jennifer. We're here every Monday. All right, thanks. Janice, <laughs> alcoholic, overeater, chaos creator. I just transfer my stuff to everything and anything. Uh, Jennifer, that was very lovely, um, very humble. I like the way that um, you were willing to be honest and open and have an open heart to see your faults, admit your faults to everybody in the room, you know, and to show how it is for you now and how God has lied to where you are at now. Very humbling. Thank you very much for that share. I really appreciate it. Um, the third step has been extremely difficult for me. Um, I was so blocked in my life. Um, I was so traumatized um, from the time I was born. You know? and, um, and up until present. And I didn't believe there was anything on this earth that could ever um, protect me, to be with me. You know? um, this book, after 
going through it probably about five times, six times, the Big Book Awakening way process. Um, and I kept on asking, you know, um, what's this God thing all about? And, um, and show me, show me what you guys are talking about. You know, what is spirituality? You know, I was raised atheist. There was nothing of no religion in my household. And I didn't really grow up in the United States. I grew up abroad in a foreign country, language, you know. So, um, finally, um, the process that we go through is um, very experimental, or not experimental, experience. And I had to have that experience. I had to have a spiritual awakening that there was no doubt ever in my mind that there wasn't a power greater than myself. Power that was also within me, and um, and I do believe, I do believe in it, um, and it has um, demonstrated to me over and over again, and I still doubt and doubt. You know, there's that there's that um, uh, that fear that gets in that all my um, belief systems that I have, which are basically opinions that I have built on and over and over again. Um, but I have that daily reprieve. Now it says daily reprieve, and for me, it's every second. You know, because every second that I'm not asking God to lead me and guide me, you know. I can get into that, I'm in the fear, you know, I'm in the self-sabotage. Um, and I'm extremely grateful for um, the Big Book Awakening. It's, um, and I'm very grateful for God. Um, I use the word God, but God is not the word that um, I personally describe it to myself. You know, for me, it's all this energy that I see and happens to me uh, in my gut. And when I have conflict, um, which is the most difficult thing in my life, is conflict, um, I have learned that I have to wait 72 hours before I can really address it, you know, because my mind has to go through this whole entire process. I have to write and write and um, it out and, you know, and, and take it into prayer and meditation, which is my writing. Um, so I really appreciate everyone that's here that allows me to say, stay, stay sane. And thank you very much for your time. Uh, Ramon, womanizing, workaholic, alcoholic. You know, I figure it's BBA, I gotta throw all mine out there. Uh, Jennifer, thank you for your lead. Uh, you know, I've seen you in these rooms for a while now, and the first time I ever got to hear your story, and thank you, brought me back, and, you know, talking about TJ, and going back, and made me think, uh, that's how you always came across, that's how I always came across, at least, you know, I was like thinking, uh, how do I get back sometimes, you had to say you're a U.S. citizen, I don't remember even passing the, the border, <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, step three, uh, made decision to turn our will and our lives over to care, God, as our 
as I understood them. You know, um, I've been going through a lot lately, um, and it's because of Ramon, Ramon's will. Not God's will, Ramon's will. So I've uh, been separated from my wife for just a little over seven weeks now. And, uh, you know, six weeks ago, uh, I had a surrender, give, turn my life back over to, to God. And, uh, man, thank God uh, I don't have that physical craving and that mental obsession anymore. You know, he took that from me, and, and thank God, and I, I think he knew he had to take that from me because I was really stressed out and feeling real low and, like, thinking everybody's better without me and my family, and uh, I think if I took that drink, I probably wouldn't be here today. That's how, that's how low I was feeling. But um, six weeks later, ah, it's amazing. When you turn back into this program, I don't know why I always walk away. Um, you know, God willing, the 30th of this month, I'll have to take four years. And every day I wake up, it's the longest I've ever been sober since I was been a teenager or started drinking. But every time I come back into these rooms, it's, you know, it's just not my alcoholism, but it's just my life in general, you know, gets me. You know, God gets me back in track, and, uh, you know, I shared with a friend last week, uh, you know, Ramon always takes that steering wheel and he's driving, and, and uh, I was saying, you know, God's in the back, and he said, you know, I'm gripping that steering wheel so tight because I always do want to do Ramon's wheel, but Ramon's wheel is never good, and I, I referenced, I said, God, God's sitting back there waiting to drive. And he, he pointed something else different. He said, no, we have free will. God gives us free will. So we're still gonna drive, but in, instead of going to the left, taking deep detours or dead ends, taking it Ramon's way, you're gonna go right. God's gonna, God's gonna guide you to the right. So I just gotta remember that, uh, you know, I gotta stay connected, I gotta keep coming to the meetings like uh, I should, staying connected with my sponsor and all of you guys, and uh, Ramon's life is a whole lot better that way. You know, because being out there drinking and doing all the things that Ramon wants to do is it's not a good place. But uh, thank you guys for this meeting, and you guys are like my family, so thank you all for being here. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe at eastlakebba.com. You can also help us reach others by spreading the word about our podcast. Thank you for joining us today on the East Lake Big Book Awakening Podcast.